Hello, and welcome back to the middle of medicine. This is episode three, and I'm one of your hosts, Aubrey Jones. And I'm your other host, Peter Jones. How you doing, Dad? How has work been for you? You know, it's been work, I'll say that. I'm <laughs> excited because today I am starting a week uh, a week off, sort of a staycation. Ooh. Uh, not going anywhere, not doing anything, just home, relaxing, not working. <laughs> because I tell you what, if there's anything that the last two years in medicine has taught me, it's that if there's one thing that medicine can give you, that is most definitely emotional damage. But other than that, I'm hanging in there. How are you? <laughs> I am good. I'm glad to hear that. I kind of wish I could have a vacation of sorts because I my schedule's so busy right now, whereas I started a new semester of undergrad. So I have all new classes, I have an internship I'm working on, and I have work. And so there's just not enough hours in the day to get enough sleep and get my homework done or pretty much anything. But yeah, that's a you know, lot. <laughs> it's we're we're doing it, I guess. <laughs> well, you know, I had noticed uh, realized it was a little bit before Christmas and things were crazy kind of like we talked about there in episode one when we were talking about medicine during the holidays and I was feeling burned out and uh, I realized that I was probably feeling burned out to at least some degree because I hadn't taken more than just one or two days off since June of last year. Oh, geez. Yeah. Since our trip. Yep. Since our trip to Hawaii, I did have a week off where I, went to a conference, but it was still a conference but it and still, it still worked. had to do with work and everything. <laughs> yeah. So I figured it was time for me to take the better part of a week off. So that started today at about noon once I finished up my morning clinic and I'm looking forward to doing nothing tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I was literally talking in counseling the other day and she was like, you need to schedule to do nothing in a day. Oh, and I was like, yeah. how are you supposed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's so important sometimes to just mm-hmm. not do anything and be okay with it. You know, yeah. like she said, mm-hmm. you have to schedule that that's what you're going to do so that you look at it. You say, I'm going to do nothing now. That's what's on my agenda. Exactly. Well, I thought this week we could kind of have a different topic and talk about sort of difficult conversations that we have to have pretty much in all of medicine with the patients, with their families, with each other, because it can be a really kind of dark, you know, time where people are sick and not doing well. So I figured we could talk about that. So what are your beginning thoughts? Well, I think that's a great uh, conversation and a great topic to discuss. You know, medicine has a lot of difficult conversations that we have to have. And you hinted at some of those. Sometimes they're with patients. Sometimes they're with families of patients. Sometimes they're with staff. Sometimes they're with our colleagues. And We have to be ready to have those conversations when they arise because you can't necessarily predict when that's going to happen. What about you? What are some initial thoughts that you have and and anything that sort of made you think about this topic? Um, Well, usually in 
my unit, we don't really have any kind of terminally ill kids usually because if they are terminally ill, they usually are home with like their families and that kind of thing. Um, and usually we get kids in and out of there pretty fast. Um, I haven't really seen any super sad stories until about a week or two ago, Yeah, which is what made me think of this topic is because I had this patient who basically has a brain tumor and it went away or so they thought, and then he got another MRI and then... It turns out it came back and it's literally everywhere. Oh, no. Just everywhere. Like, the scan just lit up. Um, and so I had never had a patient like this before. And so it was just kind of interesting to see the hard conversations that the healthcare like caregivers, not me specifically, but right. the other workers talking with that family because that family, that mom – super on top of everything. She writes down his intake and output, everything we need to chart. She writes it down on the whiteboard in the room. She's very particular about everything. She knows how to handle it. But even then, they still had to have that difficult conversation with him and be like, I'm so sorry, like your kid, like that brain tumor that he has, has a 0% survival rate. Yeah, It's legitimately zero. And so just thinking about that just just kind of brought up some thoughts in my head on how you even go about that. Because I haven't had, you know, I'm not the person who tells the parents that. Right. So I was just wondering, how do you go about that? Because you are that person, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I am. And uh, I'll preface this by saying one of the reasons I went into urology and chose to do what I do is because I don't like having those terminal conversations and I don't get away from them completely, but I don't have to have them as often as say a a medical oncologist or somebody like that. Right. Still, I do have to tell people uh, bad news and give them diagnoses that are not great. Uh, Just last week I diagnosed a pretty young guy uh, in his mid fifties with high grade prostate cancer that has spread throughout his skeleton already. And so, you know, this is not something that's survivable. He's going to die from his prostate cancer. And I don't know exactly when, but I know it's going to happen. The first thing that I would say when getting ready to have those kinds of hard conversations is you have to have empathy And that sounds super basic. Like, yeah, Yeah. no kidding. Duh, you have to have empathy. But I wonder if you started to see this already. It sometimes is a little concerning how few people in medicine are able to really have empathy. Have you seen that? That you're like, wait a second, I would expect you to be a little more empathetic than this. Yeah, I've I've definitely seen a couple nurses or more higher up people that I don't super interact with that much who maybe and maybe they do have empathy they just aren't showing it sure but they just kind of you know talk about this kid and his family and that kind of thing with just such 
just so casually and just kind of throwing the, you know, medical jargon around, kind of throwing around those hard things like, oh yeah, he's just going to die or blah, blah, blah. And it's just sort of not really being careful, which kind of just makes me a little sad because I'm like, this is very sensitive topics for everybody involved. It yeah. just is kind of weird to see people, like you say, like you said, not really be empathetic or it's really difficult because you've got to figure out how to be empathetic without internalizing it too much. And sometimes we use, whether it's humor or it's being a little flippant about certain things, those are, I think, defense mechanisms because it is really easy to develop caregiver fatigue where you can't summon that empathy anymore because quite frankly, you're burned out. So I can see where they're coming from. But if we don't catch ourselves and we don't notice when that's starting to happen to us, it's too easy for us to go into one of those hard conversations without that requisite empathy. I think one of the other things that is extremely important is to make sure that you are sincere, that if you say, I'm sorry, that you mean it, that if you say, I'm going to do everything I can for you, that you mean it, and that you really understand that this person in front of you and their family and their friends are entrusting you and the other members of the healthcare team with quite literally their life. And it can be easy to forget that sometimes. And so I always try and remind myself of that when I'm going into one of those difficult conversations that I'm talking to a person that while I'm talking about a diagnosis, that that's not what matters. What matters is that person, that individual that I'm talking to and their family and their future and their hopes and their dreams and, and all that stuff. And that, for me at least, puts me in that frame of mind where I feel I will be able to communicate, hopefully clearly, and then most importantly, listen. And I think those, for me, really are sort of the keys to those difficult conversations, at least initially. Right, yeah, for sure. And on a kind of different note, since I don't usually see, you know, I'm not the one having to have that conversation, I do find myself in situations where the family is really, really distraught with the situation. Mm -hmm. And since I'm the one going in the room all the time, I see these parents crying all the time on the phone and just obviously in so much distress because of something horrible that happened to their child. Like I had a family the other day. I won't go into details because it's pretty dark, but something horrible happened to this very small baby and the same horrible thing happened to the baby's mother. And the person who did the horrible thing was basically trying to still have custody over that baby. So it was a whole legal thing. And I went in there and I asked the mom genuinely, I was like, 
how are you doing right now? How are you doing? Yeah. And she just broke down in tears and was like, I, this is horrible. This is the worst I've ever felt in my entire life. Like this legal system is BS. This everything is so awful. And so I just, I didn't really know what to do in that situation because I was like, does she want me to hug her? Does she want me to leave? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I just went over there. Her baby had calmed down for a minute and I just sat down next to her and just listened to her talk for a few minutes because she had nobody there. Mm -hmm. She was from Lithuania. So her family was all out there and she had nobody to really be there with her and listen. Wow. The social worker came in a couple times throughout the day, but, you know, they're busy too. Right. Um, And so I just sat there and listened to her for a while and just tried to validate her feelings and, you know, like a loving hand on the shoulder type thing. You know what I mean? Um, And then I walked out to give her some privacy and I was just like, holy, like this is such a... It's just such a horrible situation, and I was just, you know, I was just trying my best to be like, we're taking care of you too. Make sure you let us know if you need anything or something. But yeah, it was just, it was just really hard to see that whole situation. It was just. I'm sure. Uh, it sounds like you did the right thing, to me at least. It sounds like you recognized the individual in front of you, and. While there's a crappy situation, it's so important to always remember that these are other people that we're taking care of yeah, and what we need to do to take care of the individual. And, you know, I think it sounds like you really did that and you did a good job of it. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's, it's just, I try really hard to, you know, if we get a new patient, it's just like words on a chart, you know? Right. And we refer to them a lot of the times by the room number so that we're not kind of, you know, for HIPAA reasons. But if we do that too often, you don't really see them as people anymore. You just see them as like a case to be fixed and like a task to be done, which is obviously not what we want that to be. And so especially with, you know, like you can read their chart and it's just words on a page but when you go into that room you have to kind of take a step back and be like this is an actual human being which this thing happened to them and it is affecting their life greatly and I am literally here to help ease the burden on them yeah and it's just really important to step back and have that perspective otherwise it's just you're just going throughout the motions and that's not yeah yeah and I have had the opportunity over the years to, again, you know, have hard conversations on a number of occasions. And I've witnessed some hard conversations as well. I've seen some people who are very, very good at having those hard conversations. And I've seen some people who are very, very bad at it. It boils down to, again, that ability to connect with the individual and see them as a human being and remember all of those things about them. You you don't know what all those things are, but you know that those things exist and connecting with them in that way. I have found to be the thing that separates those 
who can do it with some grace and those who really seem to struggle with it. What have you had any conversations that were difficult with coworkers yet? Have you ever had to have any of those yet? Um, not really. Anything difficult is usually just like, hey, I saw you doing this and that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> or something that I'd be like, um, like especially with people who are higher up than me. Right. Like for example, ooh, I just remember this. Um a nurse, like, we had this little baby who all of a sudden puked, like, all of the feed we had just given him through his G-tube. Yeah. Like, just puked it all up. And we were like, why Why is he puking? And I checked the feeding pump. His rate, the rate of the feed that was supposed to be going through was supposed to be, I think, 146 milliliters an hour. Uh-huh. And she put it at 310 Ooh. on accident. That's going to go in a little fast. And so obviously this poor kid pukes everything out of his stomach. And so since I'm new and I don't know this nurse very well, you know, it's kind of more lighthearted, difficult conversation. But still I had to be like, um, so actually you put the feed on the wrong rate and that's why he puked. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was a little nervous because I was like, don't yell at me, don't yell at me, don't yell at me. (laughs) But then she was like, oh, no, like, I shouldn't have done that. And, like, it ended up being fine, but sure. still having to, like, talk to people who are higher up on the chain than me is nerve-wracking because I don't want to overset boundaries, but we also want to keep the patients safe, so it's just kind of a line we got to balance. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes that line is determined by how important is the topic, you know. Right. When I was in residency, there was always, you know, we worked 80 hours a week. Actually, we worked 79 and a half hours a week because 80 was the limit. Was the, yeah. <laughs> we very often worked more than 80 hours a week. And it was more normal to work between 100 and 120 hours a week. But when it came time to report, you reported 79.5. Because if you reported over, then you would get called in to the program director's office and you would be told... Or, or rather asked, well, why didn't you tell your chief resident that you were over hours and you needed to go home? <laughs> and here we are as the junior resident and most likely the intern going, really? You expected yeah. me to go to my chief resident and say, hey, I know you folks are all working just as hard, if not harder than I am, but um, I I'm going to go be home. over hours, <laughs> so I need Friday off. like no way you were going to have that conversation no and so that was a difficult conversation that we just chose to not have by (laughs) fibbing about how many hours a week we were working fortunately that wasn't a problem after i got in urology because we truly did work 80 hours or less because we didn't have to take call in the hospital but especially with coworkers, sometimes that's the issue is how important is this Is this a conversation that I need to have? Or is this a conversation that more appropriately needs to come from someone else? I had an experience recently where there was an individual that I've worked with and that I, you know, I work with and there needed to be a somewhat of a difficult conversation. And I had tried, I had tried to have these conversations in the past with this individual and it just wasn't clicking, didn't seem to be going through. And I don't know why I went to our administrative director and I asked this individual, I said, Hey, 
I need you to have this conversation. I have tried. It hasn't worked. And so now I need you to have this difficult conversation. So I guess that would be another thing I would recommend when we do have to have difficult conversations is get help. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. Whether it's someone within your own organization, someone your own level, someone in a different level or a different position, or in my case, a lot of times it's involving other physicians. It's not uncommon for me to call on the phone uh, one of our oncologists prior to me going in to talk to the patient and I'll just say, this is what's going on. This is the diagnosis. I'm getting ready to go talk to them. I'll be referring them to you as well. Do you have anything I should tell them now? So that when I go into the room and I talk to that individual, I can also say to them, I've talked to so-and-so. They know about your case as well. They're going to be involved. And together we're going to help take care of you. And so having that extra layer of backup, that support, can definitely ease those difficult conversations. It doesn't make them go away. And I certainly wouldn't say you use the backup to totally pass the buck. But don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to get another opinion. Don't be afraid to ask for another point of view or point of reference to help you with that situation. I take, excuse me, I took a course a number of years ago that was called Crucial Accountability. And it was a course that was all about having these, what they call crucial conversations, which are difficult conversations. And they kind of taught us that you need to look at where there are problems. And is this a deficit of ability? Meaning that the person doesn't have the skills that we're expecting them to have. And that's why they're not performing up to our standard or whatever. Or is this a deficit of knowledge? Or is it a deficit of motivation? Because we have to understand what the deficit is before we can help them overcome that. But one of the biggest things that I took away from that course is how important it is that we not tell ourselves stories. When we see something happening, whether it's bad behavior by, really, a bad behavior by a patient, by a patient's family, by a coworker, by someone who works above us or under us, if we see inappropriate behavior that prompts one of these crucial conversations, it's really tempting to tell ourselves a story and make up an idea of, well, this is why they're doing what they're doing. And most of the time, we're wrong. You know, there's, like they say, the saying says there's three sides to every story, yours, mine, and the truth. And so we need to make sure we're not getting too wrapped up in our own story that we're not willing to really try and find the truth. And I think that can be applicable to really any difficult conversation we have. Of course, things like giving bad news and such, it's a little less pertinent. But understanding where we're coming from, where the other person's coming from, and finding a place to try and meet in the middle, I think makes those conversations go a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It kind of circles back around to, I feel like we've talked about this in like the last two episodes as well, just being empathetic and compassionate towards the other person and realizing that you don't know all that's going on and just being kind is like the most important thing, especially with those, like you said. Yeah. You know, another, and I was going to call it a trick, but it's not really a trick, but one of the other things that I have noticed 
is in those difficult conversations, whether it's something like giving bad news or if it is having a hard conversation with another person, don't be afraid of silence. Silence tends to make us very uncomfortable. And I don't know exactly why that is. I'm sure people who are much smarter than I am could explain why silence makes us so uncomfortable. But I will ask a question or give a piece of information or whatever, and then just sit there and I won't say another thing until the other person does because they need time to process what they're hearing. You know, when you give bad news, which again, I had a couple cancer diagnosis diagnosis talks that I had to have today and you have to be willing to give information because that's my job, but then stop and listen and give them time to take it all in. Because for me, the idea of when we just talked about prostate cancer and I talk about prostate cancer all the time and it just makes sense to me. So why doesn't it make sense to you? Obviously I can't have that outlook. Right. And so taking that time to just sit there and let them think and let them process and make sure that they don't feel that they're being rushed or they're being pressured or anything like that, I think goes a long way to creating an environment in which that difficult conversation is going to be an effective one. Right, yeah. Have you had any opportunities where you've seen that just being silent for a little bit can help with any conversation like that? I mean, it kind of sounds like you did that with that mom where you just were quiet and you listened. Yeah, that for sure. And I, I mean, this is just so sad that there was two of these situations, but there was another one of these very similar situations where something horrible happened to this baby and um this mom was just in such distress obviously and I went in there and I was taking care of the baby and she just kept crying in the corner of the room and so I went over there and I just asked her, like, what can I do for you right now? Yeah. Do you do you want to talk about it? Um, like, you can... I, I'm here. I It's four in the morning, but I got nothing else to do. Like, you can, <laughs> you can talk to me about it if you want, or I can just sit here with you. Like, what, what would be helpful to you in this moment? And she kind of just sat there in silence for a while and obviously I didn't want to keep talking to fill the silence because you know they need time to think and process and decide what they want to say um and eventually she kind of opened up to me about the situation and just expressed her distress and her frustration and mourning and sadness and all of those emotions that she just had built up all the time she kind of opened opened that up to me for a few minutes which it just it it made me feel good that I could be that for her you know um because again she was another situation she had a couple people that she could turn to but they weren't there at the moment um And just kind of sitting there in the silence and letting her think about what she wanted to say. I felt like I made the right choice in, like, asking her. Because sometimes, you know, you don't want to push. Of course. Obviously. But you want to 
make sure they know that you're there for them too um and not just their kid and so it again it was hard to hear the tough situation as it always is but it it felt good that I could kind of be there for her and let her she could have someone to talk to about it at least in that moment that's great and as we talked about earlier I think it's so awesome what you're doing right now and the ways in which this will prepare you to be a more empathetic, uh, more effective, a more caring and compassionate physician. I I don't think you understand yet all the different ways that that's going to help you, but there's definitely going to be moments 15, 20 years down the road where you're able to do, do something special, something great for another individual. And I think you'll be able to see that the roots of that were really there in this experience that you have at work. So again, I think it's great. I think there's a lot you're learning from that and a lot that you are going to be able to take with you. Yeah, me too. I say all the time when people ask like what I actually do at work and when when I tell them what I actually do, they're always like, oh, that sounds awful. Like, why would you want to do that? Yeah. But realistically, like... I may have to wipe people's bums and clean diapers and puke, but it's not that bad (laughs) (laughs) because I get to, I mean, I've wanted to work in a hospital ever since I was like in middle school. And so the fact that I can, I can be in there wearing scrubs, like (laughs) it just, it's very, very fulfilling to me. It doesn't really matter what I'm actually doing there because I know I'm helping. Yeah. You know, someone's got to wipe their bum. Someone's got to take out the dirty diaper trash. Someone's got to clean them up when they puke. Yeah. Someone's got to take out their IV. Someone's got to, you know, like someone's got to do all those little things that no one wants to do. And if I learn how to do it now, I can, like you said, hopefully be more empathetic when I'm higher up on the <laughs> medical food chain, so to speak. <laughs> well, you definitely will be. And I can already see that you're developing a lot of those skills. And the good news is I think a lot of them you had already, you know, you're not going into this without a a fair (laughs) number of skills already. So I think that that's great. And again, it just really boils down to remembering that as we talked about, I think in, in the first episode or definitely on the second one, when we were talking about power struggles, it all comes down to remembering, Hey, we're just all here to do the same thing. We're all on the same team. Let's help each other out. And sometimes it means we have difficult conversations with the people we take care of. Sometimes it means we have difficult conversations with each other. And sometimes those difficult conversations might be with either the people we take care of or their families because they're misbehaving. Not necessarily right. because we're giving them bad news, but you know, sometimes we have to give them the news they don't want to hear. Right. And that's another one of those difficult conversations that I think we could probably save for another day but I think that it's important to remember all of these things, we kind of build on each other to get us to the point where hopefully, hopefully we can do a great job helping people out. Yeah, exactly. Cause that's, that's what we're there for is taking care of, taking care of these people that need our help. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, any other thoughts that you had that you wanted to share before we wrap it up? Not much. I just, thanks for talking to me about this kind of stuff. I'm not super, 
with difficult conversations, I don't have a ton of experience with that. I mean, I have <laughs> only been working there for like three months, but yeah. <laughs> but still, I'm not really the person that has to deal with that. But even so, it's good to be prepared for that kind of thing so that I can be the most empathetic and kind that I can be when the time does come. So yeah. thank you. You bet. And I've had plenty of experience doing it. Honestly, it's probably something I do almost every day. I'm in clinic, but it doesn't mean that we can't always learn new things, learn from other people and figure out how to do a better job at it. Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And I hope, I hope this has been good. This, I know this has been fun for me, so I'm glad that we <laughs> me were too. doing this. I always enjoy it. Um, hopefully if you're listening, you can leave us a review, leave us some feedback, let us know what we could do better and yeah we'll just keep on going (laughs) sounds great thanks again